Welcome to the Podcast Season 2, a hodgepodge of stories of meaningful and inspiring things people are doing out in the world. My name is Rachel and I'm your host. Let's begin by taking a moment of pause to honor the land upon which we live. Deep breath in, deep breath out. I live on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, and I'm incredibly grateful to be here. Welcome to the podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. It is a pleasure and an honor to be joined by Christina Baker. She's a new friend, and she exudes joy and speaks from the heart. Christina wears a few hats here in Vancouver, including emotional intelligence coach, facilitator, and partner to her beloved husband. As seems to be the case in this lovely city, there is only one degree of separation between us. Christina and myself, we share a dear friend in common. I'm grateful that Christina courageously agreed to be interviewed as my very first guest, who I actually don't know personally. We're taking the plunge together with our hearts open. Let's see what unfolds. Welcome, Christina. Oh, yes. Thank you, Rachel. Happy to be here. Oh, amazing. I really appreciate your time. And I would love for you to introduce yourself and share something you love about you. Sure. Yeah. So, hi, Christina. It always reminds me of when you were a kid in school and they would ask you to like go around and say your name and something that you say liked about yourself or where you're from. It was always very nerve wracking for me. Mm. Um, uh, and I'm sure it's that way for a, a lot of people, right? Like, okay, hey, your turn, go. Like, oh no. <laughs> um, but that's all right. We're here now. So Christina is my name. Uh, something, Rachel, that I that comes to mind when I'm trying to think of like, what's something that I really like about her or me is if it's one thing for sure is I would say, or describe myself as somebody who has some pretty mad skills when it comes to navigating her emotions. I think that comes from like pure necessity more than anything, but they're really good skills. They're really helpful. They've done a lot for me. And I think that's something that I like most about myself. Hmm. Thank you. And thank you for having the courage to share that this isn't always a comfortable thing to do. I mean, some people love talking about themselves and it makes them feel really good and really expanded. And other people just wish that you could go on to the next person. So and everything in between. So I really appreciate you acknowledging that sometimes that's a tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. Can be at times, huh? Hmm. Yeah. And I know that, you know, we had had a couple ideas on the direction we want to take this conversation. And, and one of the things I wanted to share with you, another little thing we have in common, I noticed on your website, you spell insightful with two L's at the end to represent the word full. And I do this too. I'm just curious to know, is this something you've always done? Or is this new? Or how did you start doing that? I definitely did um, intend on that being specifically, you know, instead of just the word insightful, it was spent most to be a little bit of a play on words there and specifically mean to or point to, I suppose, being more full of insights versus 
the opposite of being more depleted or empty of them. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily something I've always done. Yeah, it's never, it hasn't even crossed my mind. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that before, Rachel. Yeah, no, good, good eye, good eye. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, and so speaking of coaching, tell me how you found your way to coaching. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit of a, uh, I don't know how to describe it. A bit of a funny, bumpy road or what sort of metaphors or analogies can we put in here? Like a, a twisted forest or a crazy path or, um, I think the, probably the, the, most um, noteworthy parts of that transition or sort of that path, whatever words land for you, um, would have been just probably a, a long stretch of what I imagine a lot of people experience, but I'll just speak about me. I feel like I'm, the, I'm my own test subject here, but I'll just talk about me, is that I noticed I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do for a very long time. And I see that now that a lot of that comes from what I later discovered as the, the fear and, and shame and confusion that gets in the way of probably already knowing what I'd like to be doing. But this is kind of backing up prior to being able to navigate some of that stuff, I just would have told you that I really didn't know what I wanted to do and stayed in that sort of way of being for a really long time. And as a consequence, what do you do? You just sort of bumble from one course to the next or you go to one job to the next, in my case. And that went on for a really long time. And I would say, you know, I, I don't want to get too attached to words like trauma, but I would say it was kind of traumatic or quite um, powerless for me. It was quite a heavy, scary thing, burden, if you will. And what would happen for me, Rachel, is anytime I was looking for the next job or, or maybe I quit somewhere or I don't remember a whole lot of times that I got fired or anything, but just anytime I was in a position where it was maybe more of a push to ask some of those questions, like what's the next job I'm going to do? Cause this one just isn't going to work anymore. Um, I would notice that for that day or those weeks or for however long I was asking that question, like, Oh crap, where am I going to work now? Uh, I would watch the mind and it would almost have that tab open in the back of the head re pretty regularly. And the answers that it would provide me would be like if I was in, say, my friend's car and we were driving down the road, I'd be looking out the window and the mind would go, oh, you could work there. Oh, you could work there. Oh, you could work there. And that process, Rachel, was terrible. It was really like you'd just be looking at the grocery store or the shoe shop or the convenience store. And the mind was saying like, oh, there's maybe an answer. There's maybe an answer. And it was like, oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> I really, I really, I really don't want to work there. Like, that doesn't sound fun at all. I've had enough jobs to know that that's not where it's at for me. Um, and, oh, geez, let's see. I even bring some of this stuff up. It's like, whoa, yeah, that was a really funny thing. But this went on, Rachel, for a really long time. And then it just got, you know, I moved around a bit and, kept working all these funny jobs. And what ended up coming up of me is I just started reading a bunch of books that all helped. Like, how do you ask better questions? How do you work the subconscious mind? Like just looking for any inspiration anywhere as to like, how do I, 
how do I shift this? This is like, this is too much for me. Um, and what I came up with was if you, I mean, we'll go there just so much time, oddly enough in the shower, I would be in the shower would be my time to do it. And I would sit there and I'd say out loud in my own secret little bubble of the world, I'd say to myself, if I was allowed to do anything, what would I do? And I almost had to say this over and over and over again, almost as if I had to like, almost like let my body relax a little bit because it kind of felt like it wanted to be honest or like the answers kind of wanted to come up, but it was as if I was having to cut through like quite a tight set of something, some sort of conditioning was very real. And so I would do this over and over and over again. And between this and a few other quirky tactics I was using, what came to me was, oh, you know, if I was allowed to, and I, and I worded it that way specifically, like as if somebody's saying I can't, but the answer was Rachel, if I was allowed to do anything and if I was being really honest, and again, it took me a really long time to get there. And even still till today, it's not always the easiest thing to reveal and that it feels so vulnerable and so important and so sensitive is I would like to work with people. I would like to coach people. I would like to be, you know, uh, I guess words, we use words like life coach and stuff, but I, I would just like to take everything and, and work with people. And I'm really grateful to be saying that to you and your listeners right now. And that it's like, it, it took, it was not an easy route to get there, but that's how I ended up with coaching. And once those answers came to me in my mind and in my dreams, I started seeing it everywhere. Like from the moment it kind of presented itself, I almost didn't know what to do with it, but I started seeing I, I guess this is as it happens, right? The moment something enters the mind and it's a tab, you start seeing it. I mean, it was popping up on my phone. People were talking to me. There would be books jumping out at me. Like it was everywhere. And then from that point, Rachel, it was several more years of fighting my own self to allow myself to go, okay, all right, let's do it. And that's how, uh, that's a short condensed version. It's, it's a really, uh, it gets crazier than that, but that's the short and condensed version as to how we've ended up here today, Rachel, talking to you about the coaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's a lot in there, and I have a million questions now um, <laughs> about, about many things that you said. Um, but first and foremost, I just, I want to go here because I think it's something that we, we sometimes don't talk about because maybe we think it's inappropriate what is it about the bathroom? Like, why do we always have deep thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> in the bathroom? Oh, oh. You know what? what maybe, maybe because out of everywhere in the world, the bathroom's like the one place where we feel like it's okay to have privacy. Oh, like, yeah. It doesn't mean we always get it, but it's like, maybe that's the one place where you're allowed to reveal stuff or allow stuff to, I mean, even if you want to get a bit gross, like it's the one place where you're allowed to let stuff out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's oh. true. I'll have to have to put a graphic warning in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I often have those those deep thoughts in the shower too. So that's so interesting that you brought that up. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize oh, so many other people do. So I had to ask you the question. Thanks mm-hmm. for letting me go there. Um, yeah. And then going going back to some of what you were sharing, like, yeah, I, I got really fixated on the word allowed because... I too do this and I know a lot of people do this, but it's, it sounds like you use that word intentionally. Whereas I think a lot of us use the word unconsciously, like, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to say this? 
Am I allowed to go here? Am I allowed to be here? And so I'm wondering if you'll speak a little bit, um, a little bit more around using the word allowed intentionally. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a big and important one for me these days. Um, I guess for, for me, the, I want to use words like the realization, the, the uncovering, the acceptance of, the acknowledgement of, whatever word lands for you, but of the, the, the conditioning. Um, and again, I'll speak about myself, but the very real conditioning that my body holds, my body and my mind hold. Um, and with it, it, it sort of, you know, when I just watch myself observe of myself as I navigate certain interactions with people or even with my husband or just anything is I really notice that I'm quite uh, oppressed (laughs) uh, is a word that comes to mind or quite caged in or quite held in. Um, And I can't quite always in the moment point to what it is, but it's just like, wow, yeah, there's some very strong messages that were picked up somewhere. And I just will use the word conditioning. And it's that conditioning that I can feel prevents me from speaking in certain ways or behaving in certain ways. And so for me, with that recognition that that's a very real part of my experience. So the word allowed is sort of like my little razor blade for revealing that, well, who says you're not allowed to? So if you ask yourself, like, you know, what could, what would I do if I was allowed to do anything? Like, ooh, oh, there's all of a sudden all this possibility that prior to asking the question, it feels like I'm not allowed to do certain things. Like, you know, whether it be the part of my story that thinks it's a girl, like girls can't do that. Or the part of me that thinks that I wear this hat and I'm a wife, so therefore I can't do this. Or I'm a daughter, whatever it is. Or even just like the the massive uh, sort of conditioning we've received just from everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, feels like, you know, I guess the flip side, right? Is supposed to or obligation, like a... Um, And another word that comes up as we're exploring aloud is permission. Like um, if you say, for example, you're born and now you're in your 30s, if you've never seen another human being do something that was maybe more towards what you wanted to do, it might just not have occurred to the mind that it had the permission to even go there, Mm -hmm. which is where the word allowed, like if you were really allowed to do anything or if you were allowed to say anything or if you were allowed to express that in any way. And I think it's just a great little tool or a great little razor blade to cut through the conditioning. And then it further reveals once you coax yourself to start answering that it further reveals that it's like, Whoa. And the coolest part is no one is in fact not allowing you to. And so now that you've answered that question and told yourself what it is that you want to do, what are you going to do about it? And that can be pretty, scary too (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah because we're exploring and expanding the edges of our experience Mm. and we're stepping into the unknown in those spaces and you know we we can look at the unknown as a scary place because we don't know what's going to happen and we can look at it as an exciting place because we don't know what's going to happen both can be true Mm. Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm Yeah. Wow. And, you know, one of the things I've been really looking forward to in this conversation is, is talking about emotions. I do find myself in a lot of conversations around, you know, it's, it's bad to be sad. It's good to be happy. And these judgments that we carry around emotions. And I would love to get your perspective on that. And, and maybe, 
in answering this question, you could share a little bit about why emotions are so important in your work. Ooh, that is a great thread you have just pulled on. (laughs) I already can tell that I'm like, my little mind is going a million miles a minute and I'm like fluttering inside like, whoa, where do I even start? That's a lot. Um, And I have a lot to say. So let's, I'll slow myself down here. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Well, maybe we can start with, you know, the way that we, we look at emotions and we judge some as good and some as bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to start there? I do. Yeah. I'll start anywhere. That's all very great stuff. I love your questions, Rachel. Oh, they're fun. Okay. So yes, yes. And yes. Um, So that is a a very real, you know, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it matters where it comes from. I'm sure you could get real geeky. And I encourage anybody to get geeky. I have not yet, but to try and just acknowledge that that is a very real attitude towards our emotions, right? Like, some are good, some are bad. And those are just words, good, bad. But that if nothing more, I feel like we can all agree that it's a very outdated attitude to have on emotions. Like it's very automatic. It's kind of, um, it's just not, um, well, I think we'll just stick with, it's a bit outdated and simple. It's simple and outdated. So with that, let's just take it a step further that it's like, if, if we do have that attitude and you look at some emotions as good and some emotions as bad, then what does it say about you? Because you have all of them, whether you like it or not, you're going to feel all of them from the most intense, unpleasant ones to the lowest pleasant ones and everywhere around that spectrum. But what does it say about you then say when you're in that sort of bad section What is it, you know, what is it, oh, I'm having the bad emotions or I'm bad for feeling these or just what might it say about you? But if there was, say, a different attitude or a different approach or a different uh, orientation, if you will, to your emotions, um, that you could just upgrade it a little bit. Instead of saying like, oh, some emotions are good, some emotions are bad, or oh, you're feeling sad, that's terrible. It, all of that sort of feeds into what I would say is this really, and I'm just going to keep sticking to the words, outdated orientation to our emotions. Like it's, they, it's just like minimizes them. It oversimplifies them. It dismisses a lot of them. It, it really encourages us not to get really curious or to go play with them. And if they're bad or even worse, if they're dangerous or unwelcomed, then we're really going to squish and deny and really lose out on a huge part of our experience with our own selves and with each other. So if nothing more in my own work, in my own life and with others, because you hear that one a lot, you really hear that like, oh, anytime you express that you're maybe feeling a little bit sad, you can just see the ripple of discomfort it causes and everyone will naturally have their different reactions, but it's often like, oh no, oh no, sadness or oh no, anger. It's like, oh my goodness, we think we need to upgrade this a little bit, you guys, because I can't speak for you, but I am, I feel a lot of things very often. And if I took that approach, and I'm, and I've no doubt I did at certain points in my early emotional nincompoopery, we'll call it, I've no (laughs) doubt I, 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 I took that approach, but I have got to say that from where I sit now, if I was still there, I'd be missing out on a whole lot. 
In this next section, Christina introduces us to the work of Mark Brackett, PhD, who wrote a book called Permission to Feel, and she talks about a tool called the Mood Meter, which helps not only adults, but children recognize and identify their emotions without judgment. And I'll just take these two words from it. Everything he says that you feel, you can put on scales of pleasant or unpleasant and high energy or low energy. And I think that that approach to our emotions, just describing like, all I can tell you is I felt pleasant two seconds ago, and now I'm feeling quite intense, <laughs> quite high energy unpleasantness. That's all I could tell you. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just very intense, and it's very unpleasant. Seems like mm -hmm. a more accurate pointer than, mm -hmm. oh, this is really bad, I'm feeling really bad. <laughs> So if nothing more, I'd like to throw it out there that, uh, you know, my, my thoughts about that is like, I really respect that that's here, that that attitude exists and that it's here. And I'd offer to anybody who's willing to sort of unlace that a little bit or upgrade that, if you will, is that there's another way to approach it and try it out. Don't take my word for it, but try it out, scrap that, update it, and instead maybe try and approach them as pleasant and unpleasant, high and low as a more accurate pointer of what's happening for you at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And that, that goes back to the permission for us to make up our own mind because some people like to feel sad and some people feel uncomfortable being happy. So mm. there's, yeah, or some people feel uncomfortable if they get too excited. So yeah, I like, I like that. And, you know, I was thinking about like another aspect of emotion and it's more, more so in the professional realm. And, and again, this is, I'll, I'll borrow the word outdated, um, that sometimes emotions are considered to be inconvenient and we don't have time. We need to get back to business and we need to do our work. And so, you know, there, uh, and I definitely, I mean, I've been in, in the professional world for about 25 years. So I've definitely experienced that when I'm, you know, having, having a tough time, like I've gone through some big things in my life and, needed time to process that. And of course, being a whole human, having the whole spectrum of emotions, mm. you know, sometimes emotions pop up in the middle of your work day and, and they can be seen as inconvenient by some people. I, I would love for you to speak to that as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, I, you're in good company as somebody who also, you know, been through some stuff, feel some stuff, feel it all. It, it it, it, you know, if anything, it points to another kind of outdated kind of attitude, I think, as a, as a group we held, which is that you're meant to sort of check your, I think they used to call it like check your baggage or check your, check your drama at the door or whatever words people would use. But that sort of attitude that, you know, you need to check all of that at the door and just show up and do your work. And I think on, in some sense, there is a, a respect for understanding that, yes, each time we shift, you can use whatever words work for you, but like when you emotionally shift or something has been set off or you're triggered or another way of pointing to it is one moment you're fine <laughs> and then the next minute, all you can say for sure is that you're slightly disturbed on some level. So something has shifted that those things, regardless of what weird outdated attitudes we have, they do happen and they happen at the post office and they happen in the office, they happen... <laughs> at home and that you, you don't get to decide. So they, they sort of just happen 
all over the place, despite how hard we try and manage them or shove them down or control them. They, they're not listening to us. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But that, you know, it raises this sort of question or this conversation of how do we reconcile or, or how do we respect or honor the fact that those are happening while at work? And, you know, I, I don't believe it or not have all the answers. <laughs> um, but I think it's worth having a conversation. And I guess this is where culture sort of like which, how does each group or how does each company handle emotional outbursts or emotional upsets or emotional shifts in people. <clears throat> and in my own experience, uh, uh, you know, I've had the pleasure of working in really cool small groups where if something like that, and it often did for me, would jump out because of the work that I do and the way I navigate through my emotions is it does mean that it's going to take some time and effort. And I was really lucky in the sense that I did get to then tap out. So say, for example, if something went off, I know that I'm now going to be in this emotion for about two seconds to about two minutes physiologically and that it's going to take a few more minutes after that for me to be able to have any sort of understanding as to what's actually happening for me. And no doubt it could be anywhere between a, two, a few hours or a few weeks or a few months to really unpack it fully. So given that, how do we, <laughs> how do we you know, do all of that work, all of that really important work while we're at work? Say, for example, if you're, you have a job where you need to be working with a team or accomplishing some things, I'm not sure, but what I would say is if you don't have the time and you do need to go to work and something did get set off, I would imagine most people have the luxury of being able to take a time out and going to the bathroom if it's really heavy, if it's really big, and just allow your body the time and space and the sort of privacy, if you will, just to be away from anybody for a few minutes, just so you can settle. And then if you don't have the time to unpack it there, ah. Oh, you know, I hopefully you will have the time to do it later. Now that all sounds really dreamy, but I can't, you know, I, I know I have some days where I have eight outbursts or eight triggers in a day and it just gets all too much and all gets swept underneath. But uh, some days, I guess, provide a bit more space than others. But I don't know, Rachel, it's a, I guess this is, seems to be to me that this is at least a, a direction or a lot more people are having these kinds of conversations these days where how do we make work a bit more human? Mm -hmm. Which... Yeah, definitely. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's, yeah, it's, <clears throat> pardon me. It just reminds me of this, um, this HR event that I went to a few years ago. And one of the VPs from uh, the Royal Bank of Canada was speaking about um, departures and performance management. And somebody, you know, was asking, like, you know, what what sort of is, is the suggestion you have for letting somebody go when they're not performing because of things that are happening in their personal life. And I loved her answer. She said, you know, these are human beings. And so there's no formula for this. This You have to treat people as whole humans on a case-by-case -case basis. And you need to be compassionate. And you need to recognize that if somebody has experienced something big, like losing a loved one, that it's going to take some time. And of course, it's going to affect their job performance because we're not these compartmentalized humans that we have sort of been behaving as for the last 
I don't know, several decades. And, and so I'm, I'm also thinking a lot about, okay, so I've been in the workforce for this long and I've been trained and conditioned to, you know, not, not really show my emotions. And in the last decade or so it's, you know, been emerging more and more that yes, you, you can show up as a whole human. Um, But then I think about, okay, well, if I've repressed myself for this long, like, what is the impact of that? And I'm curious to know if you've, if you've seen any of that in your work and, and how you work through that with your clients. Yes, yes. Okay. That's a very good question. It's so poignant and absolutely it's, it's not only, you know, with the, my clients, but it's just so close to my own personal experience as well is that when you kind of scan out a little bit and you look at how, how, how we were all parented and how our parents were parented and, and, and you consider maybe the, the, the ideal when we're specifically talking about emotions, a really ideal way of learning your first kind of way of navigating your emotions with your parents would have been what I would refer to as like coaching them through their emotions. So a really ideal way would have been for when you have your first upset, (laughs) you know, when you're a baby or you're a toddler, you get a little bit older and you feel these huge feelings that if somebody responded to you in that moment with just maybe just being close and sitting next to you and just recognizing, Hey, you know, I really see that you're upset. Can you tell me a little bit about what's happening for you? Giving you just a few minutes so that physiologically you can surf through that that um, that response. Just being there, listening, being a bit empathetic, like I really see that it looks tough sort of comments. That the, the message or the training would have been, it's normal, you're all right, I see you. I understand, let's kind of put a name on this. And you would have had some really (laughs) awesome training. Now, for those of us who had that really cool, happy for you, (laughs) for the rest of us who did not, I just want to point to when you look at some of the other styles that would have been used, such as dismissing. So being a bit dismissive about quite unpleasant emotions. You know, these were the type of styles where maybe you'd get a bit discouraged to have them or a bit ridiculed or a bit curbed around some of the more difficult emotions. The effect of that, right, is like, it's always like, what's the undesirable consequence of doing these things? Because they're there. It's very real. Is the child learns, we learn, I learned that there's something wrong with you. Like, knock it off. Get over it. What's wrong with you? Or you're fine. (laughs) You know, dismisses it totally. You're going to be just fine. When you're like, that sounds great. And I really hear you person that is bigger and wiser and all the rest than I am. But it doesn't, you know, I can't let go of this. It seems to be very big for me. So there must be something wrong with me is the message there. Mm -hmm. Another, Another style that a lot of us received was a really disapproving style, which is the, you know, I disapprove of these emotions. They're not okay. Knock it off parents can have this style at times where they try and be really controlling or manipulative of your feelings. And these are the ones who are like, stop crying, stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry about. Mm. And and very similarly to your dismissive sort of styling is that again, the effect, the long-term effect, you know, 
when you consider, uh, you know, an entire day like this with all your little feelings and all the unpleasant ones and all the pleasant ones, calm down, be quiet, stop crying. Just the amount of manipulation and controlling and curbing of these natural processes over time, 365 days, two years, four years, five years, six years, it's no wonder people are rolling in to their adulthoods, all sorts of trapped and feeling like, like every emotion is bad and dangerous and that there's something wrong with them for having these emotions. Or one more style just to point to it in case anybody had these parents that had the tendency to be a bit sort of what I refer to as lackadaisical. These ones were just very, they sort of just gave you permission to feel your feelings. These ones weren't so, this sort of style isn't so like trying to curb it or smash it. They just sort of let you act it all out, but they didn't really offer any real help. Mm. They didn't really help you steer through it or label it, nor did they give you any strategies. So the effect there or the unwanted consequence there is that you then don't really have the capacity to control your emotions or to regulate. And any of those stylings, and I'm sure there are more, but when you consider that children cannot regulate their emotions on their own, and you think about then every single time, every single time they felt something, which if they're anything like the rest of us, it's all the time. It's all the time. You know, we're little, we're vulnerable. And if each time we weren't given the remedy, we were given something else, that's, it's, it's a disbalance. It's, it's an error somewhere. It's really, and I can't say this any stronger, but when you consider the alternative, which is getting curious and staying open to those emotions and feeling through them and navigating them, when you consider what those skills would mean to your life on a day in day out basis, if you had the capacity to, to go through them and unpack them and, 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 heaven forbid, stay connected to people and continue doing the things that are important to you instead of allowing them to derail you. <laughs> and you consider what sort of long-term life that would mean for you. And, and look, coming from my own personal experience, Rachel, it's like, I, I just like, I, I'll use the words emotional nincompoopery is that lifestyle where you just cannot stay on track of what is important for you and what's significant for you because you're too regularly derailed from your emotions and your inability to navigate them well versus I guess this is where words like resiliency come in and your capacity to get back up when you've fallen down and you consider that we fall down 12 times a day 20 times a day sometimes in these mm -hmm. emotional outbursts uh, I, I I guess just in my own work Rachel it's like it's a matter of allowing people the space and the understanding to see that perhaps what they've been trained to do uh, again, I'll speak about me, but I would go to schools. Like I would go to school. I'd be there for hours and hours and hours. And never once did a teacher turn to me and ask me how I was feeling. <laughs> and to think that nowadays there are people out there doing beautiful work where they're teaching the bus drivers, the principals, the teachers to check in with the children periodically to see how they're doing and have them map out what emotions they're feeling and what they'd rather be feeling and presenting alternatives. I'll tell you this beautiful story because it was quite touching to me. Mm -hmm. This refers back to, I mentioned him there earlier, Mark Brackett's work. He has put all of his learnings about emotions into this really cool program and now goes around to different schools teaching this program that he calls Ruler. Really beautiful stuff for anybody that's geeky and interested 
to un go check that out. And one of the really beautiful things about this program that he's teaching in elementary schools all over the States, and I think maybe even in Canada, um, is it's got three tools to it. One of the tools is what he refers to as the charter. And the charter is really cool because he gets all the students together and all of the staff and you get really clear in the charter what it is that you'd like to feel while at school. So it's sort of like, let's all come together and just acknowledge out loud to one another what emotions we want to feel while we're at school. And you can imagine, oh my goodness, imagine in your mind being a grade school child who maybe doesn't have the most emotionally savvy parents at home, but gets dropped off at school. And then the teachers and everyone comes together and like, okay, you're here. How do you want to feel? Like, what? <laughs> What a great mm. question to be asked, right? So they, they say, like, we'd like to feel safe. We'd like to feel celebrated. We'd like to feel respected. We'd like to feel whatever they'd like to feel. And they put it on this big charter and they agree to and promote all the things that they can do for one another to help support everybody feeling that way. And then another tool that they use that I think is absolutely brilliant is called what I said there earlier, the mood meter. And this is where this comes in. This is so beautiful. So the mood meter, if you can appreciate, is a, a graph with one axis along the side there and one axis on the bottom. The bottom axis being unpleasant all the way to pleasant. And then the side axis being low energy all the way up to high energy. So you kind of come in with four quadrants. Okay. So at any given point, you're, you're in one of these quadrants and it's like, okay, so I'm feeling kind of pleasant, but not super high energy. So I'm somewhere over here in the green quadrant or, ooh, no, 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 I'm feeling definitely unpleasant and it's super intense. So I'm somewhere in the red quadrant up in the corner. If it's more mellow, sort of low vibe unpleasantness, you're talking more like despair, sadness. I mean, it can go real deep into depression. So you're in the blue quadrant. But if you scroll on down the pleasantness line there and say you're feeling real high energy, now you're up in the yellow zone where you're feeling ecstatic or thrilled and you're somewhere, maybe somewhere on the map at any given point. It's not really like a, the gospel, but it's more of just a tool to try and understand where are you and, you know, which direction do you want to head in? And what they do in these schools where they're implementing this stuff is they start from the moment you get dropped off at the bus stop and each child gets on the bus and the bus driver has his little mood meter and the child gets to express where they are. And say, for example, the child expresses, you know what, I'm a little bit on the unpleasant side, but it's kind of low energy. And then the bus driver responds by saying, and do you think that's the best way to start a school day? To which the child can say, yeah, I'm happy there or no, it's not. And he can say, okay, how can we support you? Do you want a hug? Do you want this? Do you want that? Right? Just like, how can we help you acknowledge that you're not feeling so great and that this isn't the best way. And then they get to do it all over again when they get to school and check in periodically throughout the day is where are you? Is that where you want to be? And is there anything we can help support you to get where you'd like to be? You think about the impact of that on the ability to learn right? So the children who are not in a very good way and emotionally are distraught are not going to be able to pay attention. But not checking on them, not asking them throughout the day is not a solution that has ever worked in history. Mm -mm. So this is just a really, really beautiful way to instead acknowledge the fact that children have always and will always, so do adults, have emotions. And how nice is it just to be able to bring that out into a social aspect and ask and inquire and support one another so that 
we can get to a place we want to be emotionally and you know what get back to learning you know what get back to work you know what get back to being a mom or a dad or a parent and so to loop this all the way back around when it comes to i i just keep using these words but it's like you know that this this sort of emotional nincompoopery this inability to acknowledge and work with and navigate our emotions these things are being set off in people and they're most likely automatically going into those two i guess autopilot ways of responding to them which is you're either kind of shoving them down and denying them and just carrying on with whatever you're doing in which case we all know we all know that that does not get rid of them they just <laughs> they just come back and get you later in a really ugly way or sometimes you'll click into the other way which is you'll brood and you'll stay in it and you'll complain and you'll milk it and you just don't quite know how to get out of it but you're really stuck in it you're really hooked by it but that there's an alternative there mm -hmm. is an alternative <laughs> and so I guess that's where my work comes in is I'm just wanting to offer and present another solution. There is another solution. There is a really cool way. And there's so many great people doing really cool work out there in this respect. And whether you're really kind of more drawn to say hardcore science, or you're maybe more drawn to spiritual teachings or anywhere in between. But the point is that there is another way that when you have these emotional things and what's really cool, Rachel, what's really, really beautiful about them is this isn't just a matter of like not floundering around in your emotions. It's more than that. It's that when you start to play with and get curious about and coach yourself through these, you find all the things that are missing that got covered over that got forgotten and locked away when you got taught early on or shown early on that, you know, we don't, play with those emotions we don't have time for that we don't look at that stop it is that this other really beautiful world sort of inside of yourself opens up that oh my goodness all of this stuff gets revealed and there's so much cool stuff in there I, I realize <laughs> that in this talk right now is not where we get to and kind of go into this but just you know you know what the cool thing is too Rachel you or no one else has to take my word for it try it out try out and see what happens, you know, the next time you just get engulfed in a really negative emotion that, you know, if you can learn a few cool, practical, I don't know what words you like to use, but like tools or strategies, or I like to refer to it as a map, <laughs> get yourself a map and a flashlight and go on in there mm -hmm. and see what's in there. It's like, oh my gosh, it, it is, again, don't take my word for it. It is the, the proof is in the pudding and the, the, reward is self-evident um and it is so enriching i don't know what other words to use but i feel like that's what's happened for me it's like it's enriched my life it's, it's it's there's a deepening there's a i don't know what words to use but i think anyone listening can understand it's just like it's awesome <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and yeah that analogy of the flashlight when we shine it in the dark corners we see that what's there you know it doesn't have to be scary and when we can bring it into the light and, and really just look at it and honor it as it is, we stop doing things like apologize for crying because we cry, we cry because we need to release and there's nothing to apologize for around that. Or we, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, wallow in our emotions. Well, as long as you're, you know, comfortable with that and other people around you aren't greatly impacted, then yeah, like you do you. 
So, um, yeah. So all that being said, um, I wanted to, you know, I want to be mindful of your time first off. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to know where listeners can connect with you. Um, what are you up to? Do you have any events coming up that you want to, you want our listeners to know about? Feel free to, to share whatever you feel called to. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, look, if anybody would like to, to get a hold of me, the best way at the moment is always going to be email and Instagram. They're both identical. It's very easy. It's just I am Christina Baker at gmail.com for the email or just as I said, I am Christina Baker for the Instagram. Any work that I've got currently going on can be found on my Instagram. Say, for example, the workshops I'm running can all be found in the link there. I think by the time this posts, the most current one would have come to pass. That one's Illuminating Shadows is a workshop I'm running. That one's offered periodically. Got a few more workshops that'll be coming up in the future. So if anyone's interested in those, it will be uh, a fun two and a half hour long workshop called Shame on You, where we're going to be playing around with that supreme emotion of shame. Another workshop that will be coming up shortly after that, dates will be posted soon, is Say Your Sorry is a workshop all around playing around with apologies and what gets in the way. And aside from that, Rachel, uh, right now, my biggest baby, my, my favorite offering, if you will, is a 90 day program where I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people. And that program is called emotion mapping. And the best description of that is, is simply a place where you can come plug in and update your emotional navigation system. So I invite anybody who's interested or if any of this sounds like it resonates with you or lands with you, if you're looking for a little bit of an upgrade, come play around and just know that that's on offer. Amazing. Thank you, Christina. And I'll make sure that your email and Instagram are in the notes for this episode so that our listeners can find you. This was, I'm, I'm actually really excited to re-listen to this episode now that it's recorded and kind of go back and reflect on, on some of the things that you shared and put them into practice in my own life. Thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast. It was really, really awesome to connect openly and freely with you. And I hope you enjoyed your time here. Do you have any parting words before we end this episode? Oh, look, I just thank you so much, Rachel. It's been really fun talking to you, letting you into my living room and my little space here. So thanks for <laughs> the work that you do. I really love when you called it uh, your labor of love. I really liked that description. Uh, I'm super just stoked to be a part of it and to get to play with you. And I can't thank you enough for, for having us in here for this morning. So that's, that's, that's all I've got. Amazing. Well, thank you. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoyed episode four or any of the other episodes, please go ahead, like, and share them. And until next time, thank you, Christina. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Rachel. Bye.
I'm so glad you tuned in to season two, episode four of the podcast with Christina Baker. Self-love is so core to the work that I do and Christina has given me so much to think about. I love the way she calls out what's outdated in our approach to emotions and she's given us lots of ways to play with, get curious and not judge them. We talked about how our childhood and upbringing impact our emotional regulation as adults and how we can become more aware of our feelings and our moods without judgment with tools like the mood meter. I've put the link to this and the link to get in touch with Christina to learn more about her programs, workshops and coachings in the episode notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share it. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Until next time.